This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Stacey Epstein is a fierce competitor, relentless marketer, and a woman who flat out understands SaaS. Part of that competitive fire is what has led her to be a four-time first-team all-conference soccer player during her collegiate years at Emory University. And that relentless attitude is what's helped her succeed in the roles of CMO and CEO. But no matter how much hustle you have, you don't get to those C-level titles without fully understanding every ounce of your business. As a marketing leader, I would never want to work at an organization where someone just says, here's a product, go market it. When you get to the C-level and you're an executive, you're part of the decisions about where the company's going. By the time you get to the tactical part of launching it, I've been part of the whole process. And so I already understand the value proposition. I already understand why this is going to be powerful solution for the market. I already understand how a rep can be successful selling that. So I would encourage anybody in marketing to think that way. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Stacy, the Chief Marketing and Customer Experience Officer at ServiceMax, details successful go-to-market strategies that her team followed when launching ServiceMax 360. And she explains the importance of getting to know your customers at all levels in order to create the most effective and seamless customer experience possible. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every-buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special, special guest, Stacey. How are you? I'm good. I'm I'm glad you can edit that if you want. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that I can talk here on a uh, on a wonderful morning uh, to talk marketing and your background. So let's get started. How'd you get started in marketing? Oh, that's a great question. Actually, I started in marketing because my my first real job was a sales rep, and um, I won't name the company because I might say some things negative, but. It was really hard to be successful selling because we didn't have great marketing. We didn't have a great brand. We didn't have good demand gen. And um, our competitors, I would show up for my very first conversation with a potential customer. And the customer would have already decided that they were going with a competitor because our competitors were so good at marketing. So I found myself trying to make my own marketing. I was putting together my own decks and I was constantly sitting in the VP of marketing's office saying, I can't be successful unless we do this. We got to do that. And once the rest of the AEs and the rest of the selling team started asking me for my decks so that they could use them in their sales cycle, I figured, God, maybe I should just go do this marketing thing. And I will say, even though it's been, gosh, more than 20 years since that first role as a sales rep, it really did shape me as a marketer. 
if the reps are at a disadvantage or they don't have what they need, whether it's a brand, whether it's demand, um, whether it's good value proposition and positioning, if they don't have that, it's really hard to win, especially in today's competitive environment. So I pretty much from there moved into marketing in my next company and have done other than a CEO role. I haven't done anything other than marketing ever since. So flash forward to today. Tell us what it means to have the longest title at ServiceMax. <laughs> yeah, well, um, you probably know from learning my background, I came back to ServiceMax by way of an acquisition. So I was at, I was the actually the first marketer at ServiceMax when the company was 12 people and doing less than a million in, in ARR and helped build the marketing function and really the company for the first six years and then left um, to do my own thing, started a company called Zinc. And then three years later, ServiceMax acquired Zinc, which I found myself back at ServiceMax. And um, it was a, a natural transition to move back into the chief marketing officer role. But having been a CEO, I, I really wanted to expand what I could contribute to the organization. And so I sat down with our CEO and said, hey, like he said, great, what more do you want to do? And I said, well, let's base it on what more does the company need? And Silver Lake had bought ServiceMax out of GE. There was a lot of transition going on both in the company and also in the market. And ServiceMax had always been really founded on a principle around delighting customers. And we wanted to make sure that continued as we grow, as we grew, as we growed, as we grew, um, we were going to do some more M&A and again, a lot of transition, but we didn't want to lose that focus on customer delight. And so building out a team focused on customer experience from the very first time a prospects interact with the company, again, going back to my sales days, as I mentioned, there's going to be a predisposed feeling about the company before uh, the actual sales rep even shows up because of the brand, because of the website, because of a lot of things that marketing does. And so from the first interaction all the way through to the time of renewal for a customer and that that customer experience focus of at every step of the way, we want to make sure we're meeting their needs, we're delighting them, we're helping them move the needle on their business. Where are we falling down? And every company, no one's perfect. Nobody's delivering perfect customer experience. A lot of times, especially in an enterprise sales cycle or customer life cycle, it falls down in the handoff. The handoff from marketing to sales, sales to SE, SE to support or to professional services, support, renewals. You got lots of different people touching a customer and making sure that you're really retaining that customer focus and also just optimizing the experience for customer. That's, we really wanted to do that. And so that's why my role, my title is chief marketing and customer experience officer because I'm really focused on doing both at ServiceMax. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, I think this is a pretty, um obvious extension of marketing. I mean, we, you know, we talk a lot about customer journey at this point, um, who owns it? How do they own it? You know, does that person live in sales? Do they live in marketing? Are there, are they their own function? You see a lot of companies now that are standing up, a um, you know, the chief customer experience officer or chief experience officer or chief customer officer to kind of look at those things. And it's, you know, it's different for every company, but I think it makes sense if, you know, if uh, like uh, our, our friend um, 
Jennifer Johnson talks about, you know, the chief marketing officer needs to be the chief market officer, which means you need to understand the market. Well, in order to understand the market, you need to understand the, the customer journey. And it seems like that should fall on on marketing to understand like how how your customers are affected throughout life cycle. Yeah. I mean, the team that does customer experience at ServiceMax is a very cross-functional team. Again, like some of the times where companies fall down is, let's just take one example of requirements gathering, understanding the customer, what do they need? How are you going to make their lives better? Um, their lives, their company better. You might get asked that on a form fill on the website. Then you get on the phone with a sales development rep. They ask you again, what are your requirements? Let me get to know you. Then they get passed to a salesperson. What is the first person thing the salesperson does? Let me ask you a few qualification questions. Then it gets handed to the SE. Well, before I can do a demo, I need to get on the phone with you and understand exactly what you need. Well, now as a prospect, I've been asked four or five different times what my requirements are. It starts to get frustrating. Why not have, and I know we're going to talk about single source of truth here in a minute, but why not have a single source of truth? Certainly you want to continue learning about the prospect as they go through the life cycle, but it should be an additive process, not a do over every time. Then you get to implementation and the consultant comes in and says, okay, clean slate. Let's figure out what we need to customize to implement. If it's frictionless for a customer to be successful with your product, they're going to be happy. That's just, it's a very easy recipe. So who does ServiceMax work with? Who are, who are your uh, customer personas and targets? We, uh, we deliver field service management solutions to asset-centric industries. What I mean by asset-centric are big, heavy, high-valued pieces of equipment that have complex service delivery requirements. So let's take a couple of examples. Think of an MRI machine in a hospital. And certainly now during the time of COVID, the hospital machines have become even more and more important. So maybe I shouldn't even use an MRI machine, but just think of a big piece of hospital equipment. If that breaks, it is not only a uh, real challenge for the, the hospital, the staff, the, the team that needs to be using that piece of equipment, but also the end customer, which is the patient. And so downtime, and downtime is a really important term in our industry. Downtime is very costly. It's costly. Again, it's expensive. You have to cancel all those, you know, okay, sorry, we can't do MRIs today because we're a machine down. It's a big problem. So what ServiceMax does is we automate the process of getting a technician to the site and fixing that machine. Or as it's become more and more popular and, and important in the time of COVID, remote service. All right, I can, you know, I know through IoT or through remote device monitoring, I know what's going on. I can tell your staff at the hospital to go fix it yourself. But the goal here is uptime. So getting whatever is needed to get that piece of equipment back online and running is what we do. And whether that's scheduling a technician, um, tracking the parts and the contracts and the warranties and the entitlements that are required to get that system back up and running, the remote service to help either the technician or the customer to get the knowledge they need to fix it and basically deliver uptime to that customer. And we do that again for asset-centric industries. So medical device, as I just mentioned, hospital machines, also any type of industrial equipment, 
power plants, anything where it's a big, high-valued piece of equipment and it takes a, a fairly skilled worker to get it done versus like, hey, my cable router's broken. I just need to put it in a box and ship it back to you and you're going to send me a new one. That would be more um, resource-centric field service management. Our focus is really on that complex service delivery. So when you when Zinc was acquired and you came back to the company, did you get your old email address back or how did that work? I got my old email address back. Oh, there you go. However, when um, I was so excited, I was like, I'm going to look at the first email I ever <laughs> sent. Um, but when ServiceMax was acquired by GE, they moved to Outlet and Outlook and we had used Gmail. So it was like a different system. So same email address, but all that history is gone, sadly. Oh, man. That what? I know. Geez. Um, what a bummer. Think of all that nighttime reading I could have done. I know. Well, and then I'm sure that they're probably employed like five Stacy's at that point. So yeah. Well, and it's, you know, Stacy.epstein. There are at least 10 of those at each company. So <laughs> there you go. So obviously the types of companies that you work with and having, you know, been that, that you were the CEO uh, of a company coming, coming back into this. Um, it's not something that we, we, you know, we get a lot of, although we, we do talk about CMOs becoming CEOs and and uh, and and founders and uh, and moving into those positions, kind of coming back to it, has that changed your your view on marketing and what you need to deliver? Well, certainly. I mean, I think every experience changes our views, no matter what the role or the title is. Certainly, you have to step. I would say that before my CEO experience, all of my roles had been in the go-to-market function, whether it was, you know, sales, marketing channels, partners, I had done a lot of that, um, which gave me a lot of skills necessary for a startup. I mean, a lot of what you need to do in a startup is bring the product to market, but certainly as a CEO, you're also overseeing product, you're overseeing engineering, you're overseeing finance, you're overseeing services. And so you have to really be sure not to double down on your area and ignore the other. And so I think that marriage, the other, the other great thing about Zinc for me was that I was a user of Zinc and I still am a user of Zinc. And even though Zinc is really built for field service organizations, it is a really good collaboration tool that anyone can use. And so as a, as a, someone like I'm not using service max actively, cause I don't run a field service team. But that ability to be a user and really it gives you that added vision that I think you need to be a, a visionary CEO. And so I think that was being responsible for not only marketing vision and direction, but for company vision and direction and making sure that product and engineering are keeping pace with what you're doing in the go-to-market function was a new skill set for me. I loved it. Um, I had a really, really talented head of product, a, a talented head of engineering, and we were really close partners. And, you know, you talk about fundraising and putting a pitch deck together. And a lot of that is not just like, here's how we're going to market. You got to really talk about what the product is and how it meets the need. And I find myself much more involved in product now that I've been a CEO than maybe I was before. So, you know, you all sell to some pretty interesting markets, as you discuss, you know, energy and power to satellite television, to things like that. 
very different industries. I'd imagine that there's tons of nuance in marketing to those different groups, different potential titles and decision makers. Like, what does that look like? How do you have to change your marketing strategy by the different verticals? Yeah, I think in any in any marketing role, no matter what the company is, the most important aspect and the the really the the core foundation of marketing needs to be an understanding of the audience and the buyer. And um, and that is no different at ServiceMax than it was at SuccessFactors, very different buyer. You know, at SuccessFactors, we were selling to HR and a little bit of IT and a little bit of the C-level. Now we're set, selling to field service, service, a little bit of IT and a little bit of the C-level. But again, I mean, you you heard me describe kind of the value prop for a, a, a hospital equipment manufacturer. Once you hone in on what matters to them as they run their business, their KPIs, again, uptime, making sure that that equipment never goes down for their customers, then you can hone in on your value prop. So how do I help them do that? And, and that's where it's just not that complicated. If you, if you really take the time to have the conversations and study the market and study the business of the, of the user of the software, it's actually very, it's very clear. They can easily tell you what their goals are in the organization. And typically it's utilization of their technicians, it's productivity of their technicians, and it's delivering uptime and high levels of service to their customers. And then it's going back to your own solution and figuring out how can we do that better than the competition and in the maximum way possible. What are some of your favorite campaigns that you've uh, you've had over the over the years for ServiceMax? That's a good one. Well, I'll say when I when I first came into ServiceMax, which was in 2009, so long long time ago. I mean, even cloud and SaaS were still pretty pretty early days. I mean, field service management as a category had existed for quite a long time. Different from success factors, when I started at success factors, there really wasn't a category for performance and talent management. Everybody was just doing performance reviews on Word docs and sending them around via email. That's not really a category. So we were really creating a category. When I came to ServiceMax, there was a category, field service management. But it meant something very different. Before cloud and before mobile, the only way to do field service management was you had a back office system that maybe tracked parts, that maybe tracked warranties, but you were spitting out a schedule on a piece of paper and handing it to the technician and the technician was taking that with them. Or you were sending them to their first appointment, they were calling in and getting their next appointment, just an address, and they were showing up, not maybe not even knowing what the problem is. Once cloud came about and you could deliver, you could put technology in the hands of the technician all day, every day, it was a real game changer for the category. Then you throw mobile in. And remember, I started in 09. So I was there when the iPad came out. We were one of the very first enterprise solutions to have an iPad app. Now I can tell that technician all sorts of information about the job they need to fix, the customer, the customer history, the availability of parts, the history of the, the machine that they're fixing. I can opt, I can know when, when they're done, they can close their work order and I can automatically route them to their next job. Just 
a, a whole new set of tape capabilities that were enabled by technology of cloud and mobile changed the game. And so what the category had been a cost center, sort of a necessary evil. This is the service department. Gosh, we're sorry things broke. We'll try to get somebody out there. It's expensive for us. You're down. Field service kind of had a negative cost center connotation. And so when we came along with, think of all the opportunities to delight your customers, to drive revenues and not just be a cost center, we wanted people to think of field service differently. And so our tagline in those early days was rethink field service. And we really came out strong with a message around, this is not a cost center. This is a revenue center with cloud, with mobile. And so wrapping product, wrapping capabilities of new technology into it, just think of the possibilities of what you can do in your field service team. And not only that, this goes back a little bit to the buyer and understanding the buyer. A lot of the field service professionals back in that day, they were lower in the organization. They weren't strategic. They were managing a cost center. They were trying to, their only goals were to reduce cost of operation. Now we give them the opportunity to be a revenue driver, to drive NPS, to drive customer delight. Suddenly they have a seat at the table. And so it wasn't just rethink the process of field service. It was rethink the entire category. This is a strategic part of the organization and they should have a seat at the table. And obviously that really resonates for buyers because that's what they're looking for. So we don't say rethink field service anymore. Now it is absolutely a a very changed category. But I think as a very small startup, it really helped us differentiate ourselves from some of the legacy client server providers of field service management. Yes. So then, you know, as as the established company now, as someone who has been, you know, doing this for years, now that you come back into the organization, you know, we always we always hear, uh, you know, new CMO comes in. You know, got to look at the brand, got to look at the website. uh, You know, all that sort of stuff. Uh, You'd already been there before. I'm sure there's some architecture and some things that you might have uh, even had a had a hand in doing. How did you go into that same role uh, over again? Yeah, I came back at a very interesting time. Um, the company had been part of GE. I mean, the whole website had been changed. There were a lot of more rules about what the company could and couldn't do. Um, then acquired by Silver Lake and just freshly out of Silver Lake. So it was a good inflection point. I would say my focus was less, I mean, ServiceMax has always had a very strong brand. And, and a lot of that is not only marketing, it is because we do a really good job of delighting customers. Um, our, our NPS is strong and our renewal rates are in the very high 90s and always have been. So part of that is just customers have a great experience with it and they talk. And, and um, so the brand, I, I wasn't like, oh gosh, I better change the logo and look at that website. I actually got a lot more focused on the strategic priorities of the organization in a time of transition. One of the things that we spent a lot of time on as a leadership team was our relationship with Salesforce. And we have always been built on the force.com platform, but as Salesforce had grown their own field service management solution, again, focus more on the scheduling and resource centric side of the of field service management. And we were focused on asset centric field service management. We were doing different things, but on the same platform, but not in an integrated way. And we ended up competing against each other, which made no sense. Yeah. We're on the same platform. 
We have different strengths and yet customers confuse us as competitors. And so one of our big initiatives was to fix that. We re-architected many of our asset-centric features on their resource-centric field service management solution and launched together in September a company called a product called Asset 360, which really gives you the best of both Salesforce and ServiceMax on one platform. And also we really just strengthen that relationship so that we're very tightly working together and collaborating with Salesforce versus competing against them, which made no sense. And so again, my job was less about, um, gosh, let's fix the brand on the website. In fact, there's probably work to be done on our website today, but that didn't really, wouldn't have moved the needle as much as this much bigger strategic play that we did with ServiceMax, which I mean, we're, that product is just on fire. We launched it in September. We actually sold it to several customers before it was even GA Wow! and just finished out the fiscal year. We'll be announcing some results here shortly, but just tons of new logos. It's really proving to be what we thought it would be, which is a really compelling solution for the market. Yeah. So can you share like what what goes into a, a product launch for you all like that? Um, what type of a campaign do you have attached to that? Um, how are you, you know, informing current customers? Are you looking to try to, you know, is it is it a net new campaign? You know, what goes into it? Yeah, I mean, it was a very complex process to go through. We still have our core solution that is incredibly powerful and compelling and used by hundreds of very large organizations in the world. And the last thing we wanna do is disrupt our loyal customers. And so we continue to innovate on that platform. We continue to you know, support and sell that platform. We literally just added another SKU as a, as a solution. To, not every customer wants both resource-centric and asset-centric field service management. So giving them a choice was what we've done. I mean, we also sell Zinc. We, you know, we have multiple products that we sell. So this is just another product that we launched. It was complex because what we, again, we didn't want to create confusion in the market. We didn't want to create confusion with our customers. So we had to be very clear that we will continue to innovate on the existing solution. This is not a replacement. This is not something that you should need to plan to migrate to. This is an option for new customers. And that, you know, there was also lots of joint marketing that we did with Salesforce. Again, it starts with what's the value to the customer? What is the positioning and value proposition around this solution? An additional sort of set of FAQs for anybody that might feel confused by the new offering. And then taking it to market. I mean, Dreamforce was happening around that time. We were doing our own events. Um, certainly we did, you know, we did pretty much the typical marketing campaigns that you would do. We had an integrated campaign and that we did in conjunction with Salesforce. We continue to market both solutions. Yeah. I mean, our, well, our listeners know that obviously the, the show has been sponsored by Salesforce for 250 plus episodes, not at all, uh, on the field service side, um, <laughs> on the marketing cloud side, but so, you know, I think. Our listeners are definitely familiar with the motion that Dreamforce is and how many product launches and things happen around that and probably launch uh, many of their own products at things like Dreamforce or their or uh, or or other conferences. But in terms of like like you said, 
launching a product that is new for you all to have, but also could be potentially confusing to customers is like a very fine line, right? I'd imagine that, you know, that might've been all hands on deck to, you know, to answer those FAQs. I'm sure sales reps were getting their phone. They're like, I just saw an email that you're all doing what now? Um, do we need to switch Do that? So, you know, in terms of the orchestration for that and the messaging, is that something that like, you know, easy to say in hindsight that it's like, hey, you know, it went great. But like for for other people, it might not have gone great. What do you think you, what pitfalls did you avoid? Well, yes, it went great. I think, you know, there you're always going to have issues. You're always going to have questions. I think again, going all the way back to my sales rep experience, but also, you know, I've just been doing this a really long time. There's Part of this is just the ability to foresee what what the questions are going to be, where are going to be the areas of confusion, and making sure that you have those covered. And even if they don't fit all into you know an FAQ, I mean, you're not going to put out a 10-page FAQ. Nobody reads it. But it does start with a, a list of questions where literally it was like a, a team of five people on both sides. And we had a running list of questions and there were questions that were very easy to answer and you're done. And there were questions where it was like, ah, oh, we got to really figure out that out. How's that going to work? You know, what, what is an SDR pushing? What, which product? How do we decide when to talk about this? When to talk about that? Yes. We certainly want to make sure we have a really strong relationship with Salesforce. And so we have to make sure that the interplay of like, when do they talk about their solution? When do we talk about ours? And I mean, I could go on and on and on. The list of FAQs was, it sort of became the, the work product. And once you answered the questions and then everybody sort of got a line, you know, it was like everyone had their edits. I'm not sure that would work. What about partners? Who's implementing the, you know, it's like it goes on and on and on and you see different people's comments in the document. And eventually there's less and less and less and less comments and more and more and more alignment. And then some of the questions start to sound repetitive, you know, then it starts to kind of shorten itself. But eventually that becomes the positioning and that becomes when you do your all hands before, you know, the night before you're going to launch it to the world, that becomes the slide deck where you're explaining how it all works. And so instead of saying, here's a 10 page FAQ, you're walking people through the positioning and the strategy. And you've really thought of everything because you've had different, you know, we had an SE leader in the group. We had different people with different perspectives that thought of their own people and their own customers and what they might need to know. And, you know, it's, it, it was really less about like, here's how compelling the solution is, because honestly, that was almost obvious. Yeah. And it was yeah. more about when, where, how, who, and how do we handle objections and questions and pump people up that this is going to be what we knew it would be. And so I think that's, that's where, that's where you can look back and say it went great because a lot of people and a lot of thought went into making sure that all of the bases were covered in advance. Yeah. It's so funny. I mean, you know, seems like there's just so much that goes into the architecture of, and the positioning and, and thought going into that. 
you know, you didn't even talk about channels and tactics, ad spends and, you know, all of those, the actual. I mean, that, that honestly was the easy part. That's why when you were like, well, did you redo the website? I'm like, oh gosh, that was like, you know, yeah, I'd love to redo the website. Even still, it's like priority number 30, you know, get our CEO, actually everybody on our executive team had, we were calling very important customers right before and, we had a, a talking track and then like, we'd all get on saying, okay, I talked to so-and-so everything went well, but here's a question they asked mm-hmm. and you might get asked that too. So like, this is what I said, everybody in agreement, like, you know, it really does get down to that kind of brass tax where you just, you want it to be executed perfectly. And like, by the time you get to ad copy and email campaigns, like you're far, you've already done all the hard work. When you, so you said that you were actually selling the product before it was live anyways, right? So, yeah. I mean, I, so I'd imagine that you were getting all sorts of, I mean, you know, objections and, and, and learning a lot of that stuff before you even went to market. I mean, which again, this is like, it seems like it's something that is, that is obvious to us right now, but for a lot of marketers, like, you know, the boss says, hey, we're going to do a new product launch they don't sell that into the market. They're not getting feedback before it goes live. They're not getting product refinement. It's like, this is a new SKU. Uh, here's the collateral for the sales reps and go sell it. And not thinking about, okay, well, what if sales rep, you know, what if, uh, what if Jane says, you know, like, I'm a little confused about which product I should be selling or, you know, or whatever it is, or wait, how does our partner who's also selling like, you know, like all of those things that get, they get put into it, I think feel like, oh, of course, these are the steps that could go into it. But for other folks, like they have leadership teams that, you know, don't see things that way potentially. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say as a marketing leader, I I would never want to work at an organization where someone just says, here's a product, go market it. Um, I think when you get to the, to the C-level and you're an executive, you're part of the decisions about where the company's going. And back to your comment earlier about being the chief market officer, I can't imagine that I wouldn't have been part of that vision and deciding to do that. And so by the time you get to the tactical part of launching it, like it's, I've been part of, of the whole process. And so I already understand the value proposition. I already understand why this is going to be powerful solution for the market. I already understand how a rep can be successful selling that. So I would encourage anybody in marketing to think that way of, you know, yes, if you're a frontline marketer, you probably learned about this launch after it was already decided but hopefully the leader of the marketing organization has been part of creating that vision and understands why it's going to be compelling. And again, then it just becomes the tactical, the strategic part is deciding to do it and deciding what impact it's going to have on the market. The tactical part is getting the solution out there and compelling people to want to buy it. And certainly there's strategy within those tactics. There's also exciting the organization about selling it. So there's an internal launch component to this. But I I think in order to be an effective executive marketing leader, you have to be able to think through all of that. You have to be able to 
to contribute to the strategy and the strategic decision of, of the vision of the company. And then you also have to help lead the team through the tactics of getting it into the customer's hands. I can't remember if I read this somewhere or not. I'm sure I did, but the like iceberg marketing, um, and it might mean something totally different, but the idea that it's like all this stuff goes into under the water of a campaign that nobody ends up seeing. And then the the final piece is just what the, what the customers and prospects see. So it seems like you've done all of the work to get to this point. So what's next? What is the next phase of this? Are you kind of pouring pouring um, gasoline on the fire? I guess there's got to be a better analogy for that. Are you pouring? I don't mind that. How about pouring whipped cream on the cake? Is that? Fuel. How about fuel? <laughs> sure. Well, both. So we will continue to execute on Asset360. We're continuing to spend a good amount of R&D to add features and functions to it. We also continue to innovate on our core product. But I, I mean, we definitely have a big vision and that is to continue to deliver innovative solutions to our, to our market. And whether that means doing more acquisitions, whether, whether it means launching new capabilities in new areas, we just launched some new remote service capabilities, some that we built in Zinc, some that we built in our own platform, some that are net new. So I think, yeah, we're we're gonna continue to to do it all, to do the core product, also asset 360, and then the new stuff, which typically will will work in conjunction with both of those solutions. But yeah, so it it isn't just all about everything's about asset 360 going forward. We're definitely looking to continue to expand the offering in, in different ways. Yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the things that I think we hear from new product launches is like, okay, well, what what breakdown for the next year do you spend on the new product versus, you know, your your core product? And then, you know, those kind of always on campaigns that you're running, those sort of things. How does how does that shift into into development? Maybe are you doing more brand this year or maybe you're doing less brand? Because you're like, okay, you know, we used to spend 30% of our budget on brand. Now we're going to, you know, take 15% of that. We're actually going to do less brand marketing because we're going to, you know, use that extra 15% to promote this new product. I'm just curious how you, how you looked at that going forward. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it does come from our bookings targets. So if, you know, we have a, an upsell target for to existing customers. We have new assets, 360 net new logo target. We'll have zinc new, you know, targets. Yeah. So a lot of the breakdown literally comes from, from a, a demand gen model that totally. says, okay, in order to hit X hundred million in, in ARR, we need this amount of demand, you know, certainly upsell is a different equation, you're going to need to spend more to get demand for something new than you need to spend on upselling existing customers. But a lot of it drives a percentage, you know, brand and I would say awareness, PR, those types of things. Those actually have stayed relatively static for us. We do quite well with analysts. We do have a pretty narrow target market and we are quite well known in that market. This new solution has given us the ability to branch outside of our core ISP a little ICP a little bit 
So we're doing some testing of marketing messages to new industries that we haven't marketed before. So it's pretty complex mix, but a lot of it really is driven by the revenue targets for that business unit. Yeah, I was going to ask that, that like, you know, when you're launching something like that, do you kind of start, hit the tear button with those campaigns and say, hey, we're actually going to run this new, these new product campaigns, you know, like pretty much net new because we don't want our previous positioning and the and the demos and all that sort of stuff uh, to impact it? Or is it kind of, a? am sure is a, a bit of both there, especially if you're going af- after a, a slightly expanded persona? Yeah, it depends. I mean, certainly when we launched Asset360, that was all in. I mean, that was all that we did in that period of time for probably a solid quarter. It was just 100% going after this new you know, demand for this new product. There are certainly launches where you're, where you're just maybe adding a little flavor of a new feature and function to what you're already doing and you're keeping everything else going. We're, we're moving into marketing for Maximize, which is our annual customer conference. And that's just going to have a mix of all types of customers and prospects. And so it's a much broader message about the value of, of ServiceMax versus the value of any one particular solution within our portfolio products. So I think it sort of goes in phases. But I do think when you're doing a big launch where you you want press, you want the analysts to notice, you want to really create a big stir in the market, it's best to not dilute that message. It's best to just kind of go all in on it. You know, we certainly wanted to, again, make sure that existing customers or prospects that were already excited about the existing solution weren't confused. And we did that also by emailing them, by having direct conversations with them and by making just sure that they weren't confused. It's a lot easier to control those messages when when they are existing customers. We have a customer community, so we can do stuff there that doesn't take away from the messages we're putting into the market about this hot new thing. Okay, before we get into our lightning round here, um, just last question. Um, What are you excited about for, you know, going forward from a marketing perspective? Any new, you know, strategies or technologies or things that that you see that that you're fired up to try or explore with uh, in, in the next year? I mean, I'll tie it into another area that I'm passionate about, which is just women in leadership and I think we can both agree that a lot of, for whatever reason, a lot of marketing professionals are women. And I mean, just this drive for more women in leadership positions, more women on boards, and the willingness to have CMOs that sit on other people's boards versus, nope, I can only have a CEO on my board. Now it's like, well, I need a woman, and there's a lot of women. And I need go to market help. I'm going to have a CMO. I think it's just elevated the role. And it goes back to something I said earlier. It helps marketing and marketers become a bigger part of the strategic conversation of the company vision versus just the marketing vision. And so I'm excited to see more impact from the advancement of, of marketers and into more strategic places in the organization. It was true with field service too. As I talked about earlier, field service became much more strategic. I think marketing's always been strategic, but now you're seeing the individuals that are marketers being elevated and valued even more in strategic positions. And I 
think it's going to just, it's going to drive a lot of interesting growth for industries. Yeah. Specifically, I think as marketers are closer to the customer, even in B2B, uh, or maybe even especially in B2B, I think the rise of of seeing marketers become CEOs is is pretty clear. You know, like we're seeing it a little bit, like we talked about at the beginning, but I think it's pretty clear that depending on the type of organization, like your understanding of the market and the customer, if you know more about the customer than anyone else, just over time, those people are going to become CEOs. You know, that's, I think that back a decade ago that those were product-driven founders that were CEOs because they understood the problem. And I think that the next kind of wave is understanding the customer. Yep. I totally agree. Okay. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. They've been the sponsor of this show for 250 plus episodes. We love Salesforce. Check them out. Automate engagement with every customer. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more lightning round questions. Stacey, are you ready? I think so. Number one, what position in soccer did you play? Oh, come on. That's so easy. I was a goalie. You were a goalie. No kidding. All right. Yep. Um, favorite save? Oh, gosh. That's so hard to say as a goalie. I mean, you're just that like you're making you're making many, many saves every single game. I mean, I guess, I guess maybe it would be in college playing. We were playing Rochester, who was ranked number one in the nation, and um, they were much better than we were. But we ended up pulling off a victory because there was a lot of saves, not only by me but by the defense too. And um, of course, we scored a goal. So that would be. I can't remember one particular save, but that would probably be the highlight of my of saving. I feel like, yeah, goalie's the ultimate position where you're not really supposed to remember anything anyways. <laughs> it's like, just read and react. <laughs> well, it's funny, actually, since we're on the marketing podcast, one of the things about goalies is like, it's same as CMO. Like I can, I'm the only one on the field that can see the whole field. And so having that vision and like helping direct the team and telling people, you know, here, hey, there's someone coming on the weak side, look out. I actually once wrote an article about how goal, goalkeeping taught me everything I needed to know about business. There you go. Lots of pointing and yelling, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, favorite soccer team? Um, I like Man U. And the women's U.S. national team, of course. Of course. They're amazing. If you could interview one person, who would it be? That is a really great question. I'm assuming we're only going with living people, so that narrows it a little bit. You can go and just say whatever you want. I mean, it'd be it depends on how what mood I'm in that day, but either Barack Obama or Steph Curry. Love it. Love Steph. Steph's a great answer. Oh my God. He's so great. He is the best. If you weren't in marketing, what do you think you'd be doing? I mean, I'd probably go back to being a CEO. That doesn't count. You, something okay. If you weren't, oh, you mean like a different industry? Yeah. If you weren't in uh, in business, I mean, maybe sports. I I love you know having played soccer and I love sports, so sports would be fun. But I actually think it'd be kind of fun to be like a movie producer. We're just like making sure it all gets done well, and you know, you kind of have a hand in everything and directing and casting. That seems like that would have been a fun career. Service Max movie coming to a big screen near you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, best advice for a first time CMO? Talk to sales, talk to customers a lot, continually. That is the best place to really understand 
what you need to be doing and what's going to be successful. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today, Stacey. Thanks so much for joining everybody. Check out Service Max if you haven't uh, already. Uh, any final thoughts? Anything to plug? I don't think so. This has been fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.